Thank you, Jesus. Well, I pray that this weekend has been a blessing to you and that God has spoken, spoken to you. I mean, I've tried. I know that every single person here has been trying to impart the things that God has put on their heart. And I tell you, if this hadn't lit a fire under you, your wood's wet. You need to come here and get dried out, amen, so that you can catch on fire for God. If you catch on fire for God, the world will come watch you burn. Everybody loves a fire. They love to see where a fire is. And I tell you, when somebody's on fire for God, you'll draw attention. It may not all be good, but you will. You will have people respond. Praise God. I've often said that I can stand to be persecuted, but I can't stand to be ignored. Persecution means you've hit a nerve. You've touched somebody. But you know what? When they ignore you, that means, man, Jesus was never ignored. It was either a revival or a riot everywhere he went. But if people are indifferent to you, it's because you aren't operating under the power of God. The power of God won't always cause a positive response, but it will cause a response. If you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest got hit. That's the way I look at persecution. <laughs> Just little things that help me adjust. Let's turn over here to Exodus chapter 4. I want to share a very simple thing with you, but this is profound, and God used this in my life supernaturally. I can tell you the exact time he spoke this to me, and... He's used these same things in my life many times. This isn't a static thing that you just have God speak this to you and it's a one-time deal. But this is a kind of truth that you can apply to many, many different situations. There's literally been hundreds of times in my walk with the Lord that God has brought me back to these things that I want to share with you. So this is where God spoke to Moses. And God gave Moses direction. Many of you here are looking for direction. And this is how God did it with Moses. And you know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that all of the things that are written in the Word are written for our instruction so that we might learn through them how to do things. And I tell you, this is one of the major ways, major ways that God has spoken to me. I study the Word and I see how God dealt with other people and then you just apply those same truths. The Lord is no respecter of persons. If this is how He spoke to Moses, this is how He'll speak to you and how He'll speak to me. So there's some great things to learn, and this is one of the most powerful things that God ever spoke to me right here. Real quickly, let me just put this in its context and give a background. Most people are more familiar with the Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments than they are with the Bible. And the Ten Commandments, that show, is not accurate. There's a, I watch it, I'm not against it, but it's just not accurate. There are things in that show that are completely contrary to Scripture. One of them is that Moses was just a good old boy and he went out and killed this Egyptian because he was oppressing an Israelite and he didn't know he was an Israelite. He was just, you know, it just happened. He didn't mean anything by it. The scripture says clearly, it doesn't say it here in Exodus, but in Acts chapter 7, when he killed this Egyptian, it said he supposed his brethren would understand how God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. So that shows you that Moses knew God's will for his life. He knew that he was called by God to bring deliverance to the Jews. And I could spend a lot of time on this. I got a whole bunch of teaching on this. But it was, it was natural for him to think that because he knew that he was a Jew. He knew where he came from. He should have been killed. And yet, instead of being killed, he was raised by the very person who issued the death sentence for him. It was supernatural how God put him in the household of the guy who said, kill all of the male children. And he charged Pharaoh and had Pharaoh pay all of the expenses of raising the guy who was going to bring deliverance to the Jews. God's wisdom is awesome. So anyway, he just supposed that God was going to use his clout, his power. He was a mighty general. Uh, secular history even records about Moses was one of the greatest generals that ever lived in Egypt and conquered the Lubians and the Ethiopians and brought all of this treasure to Egypt. So anyway, he was supposing that God put him in this position and was going to use him based on all of this. When he killed the Egyptian, he was trying to bring God's will to pass. He knew what God wanted him to do. That's important that you understand that because he, it didn't just happen. 
Some people think that fate just makes things happen, and that is not how it happens. If you don't pursue the things of God, they will not come to pass. God does not move you like a chess piece and make things happen. You have to make choices. And so he did some things and made wrong choices. This is, this is so critical that you understand this. A lot of people think that if they know what God's will for them is, then it's just up to them to bring it to pass. But no, God not only has a will for your life, but he has a plan for how to accomplish it, and he has a timing. I'm nearly teaching on something I don't want to teach on. I'm just trying to say this real quickly, so please get my tape sets and series on this. I've got a teaching entitled God's Man, Plan, and Timing that will go into more detail. But Moses was at least 30 years premature trying to accomplish what God wanted him to do. There's not, it's not only important to know God's will, but you've got to know God's plan. How is it going to be done? And it's usually going to be contrary to the way you think it's going to be done. And there is a timing to what God says to you. And Moses missed it on two out of these three things. He knew God's will, but he didn't understand God's plan, and he didn't understand the timing. And because of it, Moses cost himself a lot of uh, problems. Uh, again, Cecil B. DeMille's, as Moses heads out into the desert, you have this booming, deep voice come on and says, So Moses goes into the desert where prophets are made and scorpions and, and they make this big deal out of it as if this was God's will. It wasn't God's will that Moses go into the wilderness. It was his because of his disobedience. And he thought that by killing a person, he was bringing God's will to pass. You know, you can get into your own thing to where you are going to do things your own way and not listen to God. You not only need to hear the will of God, but you need to find out, all right, God, now how do you want to accomplish it? How do you, what, lead me. Show me how to do this. He did not follow God's will. That was not how God was going to bring deliverance to the Jews is through Moses' position and his mighty power and authority. Moses wasn't going to get the credit. God was going to get the credit. And it was 40, it was, uh, what did I say? It was 40 years, pre, or 10 years premature to the prophecy of Genesis chapter 15. And because of that, Moses went into the desert because of his own self-will for 40 years, which means that the children of Israel spent 30 years more in bondage than what God prophesied they would. And it was because of Moses' disobedience. If you don't follow the leadership of the Lord, you are going to cost yourself 40 years in the wilderness and then all of the people that God has for you to minister to are going to languish and do without because of your disobedience. It's very important that you hear the voice of God. And so anyway, it's important that you understand that. And also it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Moses endured talking about during this period of time in the wilderness, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The word endure does not mean that you just put up with, that you just struggle through. The word endure is talking about perseverance. It's talking about an action. He was seeking God. He was believing God that God's purposes for his life would still come to pass even though he had messed it up royally and had spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. All of the things I've said are super important for you to get what I want to say here this morning because that is the, what the Scripture reveals about Moses. It's contrary to most people's uh, perception. Moses knew what he was doing. He did it his own way. It cost him 40 years in the wilderness, the children of Israel 30 years extra bondage. And during these 40 years in the wilderness, he was seeking God and saying, God, I still believe that your will is going to come to pass in my life regardless of how I've messed it up. He was looking for God. He was persevering as seeing him who is invisible. He was still looking for God. And so after all these things happened, here he is in the wilderness, and it says in chapter 3, I'm going to get to chapter 4, but in chapter 3 that he was keeping his father's uh, his father-in-law's flocks on the backside of the desert. And in verse 3, or let me back up to verse... Let's just start with verse 1. Now Moses kept the, uh, the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed." And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. 
You know, the emphasis here is on the fact that the bush was on fire, but it wasn't burned. Uh, in the desert, I'm sure that there was bushes that got on fire often with the heat and things like this. That wasn't so unusual. What was unusual was this bush was on fire and it wasn't burned. And it says, I'm going to now turn aside and see this sight. Something unusual is happening here. Did you know Moses could have just kept on going and saying, man, Zipporah's expecting me home for dinner, and if I stop here, I'm going to be late. I may never get home. And he could have just kept on going, but he, he knew something was unusual. And only people who are looking, they're expecting something. You've got to be receptive. Man, I could spend all of this session on this. I just want to say this quickly, but this is really important, that there are so many people that God tries to speak to them, but they aren't expecting. They aren't looking for anything. If you are expecting something from God, if your antennas are up, did you know what? You hear God when other people don't. Again, I could spend hours on this, but this is one of the great things that determines who God speaks to. Scripture says he, we're his sheep. He hear, we hear his voice. Greg talked about that, but did you know what? There's a lot of Christians that aren't hearing the voice of God, not because God's not speaking, but because they just aren't looking. They aren't expecting anything. They're content. They're lulled to sleep. They're complacent. When I go to a place, did you know, I used to go to a church in Shreveport, Louisiana for 22 years, and the pastors of this church just built me up, promoted me as being the most awesome things. You know, and, and because of it, I could go to that place and we would see blind eyes open, deaf ears open, people come out of wheelchairs every single time for 22 years. I saw notable miracles happen instantaneously every single time. And you know, a lot of it is because those people were expecting something. They were turned on. They came believing. And I go other places and I don't see the same results and I'm the same. It's not me that's the difference. It's the way that people receive. And you can determine whether or not you receive from God. You know, people think that hearing from God's like lightning hitting and there's just no rhyme or reason to it. But, you know, they've discovered that actually I, they've taken pictures and lightning actually comes from the ground up. There are certain things in the ground that attract lightning. One of my employees, their home got struck by lightning and they had... They had their appliances blown out at least once a year for 10 years because of lightning, and eventually lightning hit the house, and nobody was home. Their two dogs were there, and they were killed, burnt in the exact spot where they were laying. They lost everything, and they decided to build that home, but they just figured that there was something in that ground that was attracting that because that thing had been hit by lightning so many times, and so they had a garage, an unattached garage, that had never had a single thing happen. And they moved their home 20 feet and rebuilt it next to the garage. And they've been there now for 20 years and have never had a single thing happen. There's certain things that attract lightning. They tell you not to get under trees when during a lightning storm. There are things that attract it. And likewise, people think that God just speaks and it's like lightning. No, there's no control over it. Who knows why God does things? Man, God speaks to people who are seeking him, people who prepare their heart, people who are hungry, people who are looking. And I say all of this to say that Moses could have just kept on going and said, well, it's just a bush burning. Who cares why it isn't burnt? But he turned aside, and look at this in verse 4, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. Why didn't God just talk to him out of the midst of this burning bush? That would have got his attention. The Lord waited. The Lord did something that was a little unusual, but if he hadn't have reached out and said, maybe this is God, I want to see what's going on, God wouldn't have spoken to him. God waited till he turned aside. It makes special notice of saying when the Lord saw that he turned aside, then God spoke to him. You could apply this. There are just hundreds of examples of this. When Peter walked on the water, the disciples were drowning. They were praying, asking God for help. Jesus came walking on the water. You know he was out there to help them. He wasn't just out for a walk on the water. He came to help them. Amen. If it would have been me, I'd have blown a trumpet like, here comes the Calvary. Hold on, guys. You know, you'd, 
But it says Jesus just was walking on the water and he made as though he would have passed by them. Jesus would have just passed. He just showed himself to them. I can imagine they're over there drowning. They're up to their nose in water and he just walks by and <laughs> waves at them. And it says they cried out. And when they cried out, then he responded. If they hadn't have cried out, if they'd have looked and said, ah, this couldn't be real and just kept on going, he would have walked by them. Did you know what? The Lord wants to minister to you, but he will come to you in some still small voice, some small way. And if you aren't looking, if your antennas aren't up, you can miss God. Moses was looking. It says he persevered by seeing him who is invisible. He was looking, and because of that, God spoke to him out of the midst of this burning bush. And there are three times in this third chapter, God says, I've heard the cries of the people. Now it's time for you to go down. I'm going to send you. Forty years before, Moses got a word from God and made a paragraph out of it. He says, oh, I know that God has sent me to... Uh, deliver the Israelites, and he didn't wait on God's plan. He didn't follow his leading. He didn't care about the timing. He just was going to do it in his own way, and he was self-willed. Over 40 years, Moses had come to realize that, man, I messed up everything, and that I just can't do this, God. It's got to be you. And so the Lord told him, he says, go down, and I'm going to deliver the uh, Israelites out of Egypt. And look at what Moses said in verse 11, and Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? In other words, 40 years before, he was chomping at the bits. God just gave him a little bit of instruction and he was gone on his own. Now here he is 40 years later and he had learned that he had to have God do it and he started saying, God, I'm not up to this. I'm not able. I'm not capable. And yet again, Hebrews chapter 11 says he was persevering. He wasn't running from God as the Ten Commandments show shows that he was out there, God, leave me alone, wasn't even believing in God. He was looking for God. He had been standing on these promises, and yet here he is face to face with God, and God's telling him, go down, and he says, I can't do it. Who am I? And so the Lord assured him in verse 12, the Lord said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people of Egypt you shall serve God upon this mountain. Did you know most of us don't like tokens like that? We want a token that's going to prove you're speaking with me before I have to stick my neck out. But God says, after all these things come to pass, you'll come serve me on this mountain. That's not exactly, what I'm sure, what Moses wanted, but he says, that'll come to pass. And in verse 13, Moses said unto, unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The Lord... Uh, God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Here's another excuse. In other words, God, I don't even know your name. We don't even, how am I going to introduce you? How am I going to convince these people? And so the Lord said, I am that I am. And God spoke to him and again promised him that he would, uh, that the people would hearken unto him. Up here in verse 15, And they shall hearken unto thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath meant with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord. And so the Lord, this is the third time he's assuring him, it's going to work. I promise you, they will hearken unto you. And then Moses, in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not hearken unto me. nor hearken unto my voice, and they shall say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Here's Moses talking to God face to face. The Lord had him take his shoes off. He was in the holy presence of God. God told him three times, Moses, do this. It's going to work. And all Moses did was talk about, God, I'm just not up to it. I'm not able. I can't do it. Sound familiar? And I'm not going to have time, but as you continue on through here, there's another time that he says down here in the fourth chapter, and he says, but I'm not eloquent of speech, and I can't speak. And God got angry at him, and God said, I made your mouth. I can make it talk. <laughs> and then he says, your brother Aaron is on his way to meet you, and I'll use him, and you can speak through him. 
But over in Hebrews, uh, or excuse me, in um, Acts chapter 7, when it recounts this, beginning with around verse 24, it says that Moses was mighty in words and deeds. When Moses was saying, I'm not eloquent of speech and I can't talk, that wasn't true. He was raised under the Egyptian system. He was given the very best education. He was given elocution lessons. He had every advantage. This was just a con on his part. The Bible comments on this and said he was mighty in words and in deeds. And yet Moses said, I can't talk. This is really the same thing that happens to all of us. All of us, when God calls us to do something, he's going to call you to do something that's beyond your ability. If, if what you feel God has called you to do is something that you can handle in your own strength and power, then you haven't heard from God. I can guarantee you God's going to call you to do something bigger than you. And the moment he does and we see that, oh, God, this is, well, we start making excuses. God, how can I do this? How can this happen? It's the exact same thing that Moses did. And so anyway, here he is making excuses and saying, they won't believe me. They won't hearken unto my voice. And in verse 2, this is chapter 4, verse 2, the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. You know, it was just a stick. Moses took a stick and carved it so that he, you know, he used it as a walking stick. He was a shepherd. He used it to fight off animals. He used it to prod his sheep and poke them. It was a tool of his trades, what it was. It was something that he used. You know, I've got a walking stick that I use when I'm climbing the mountains. It helps you sometimes if you're going up things. And if you were a shepherd, you needed a stick to fight off animals to do things. So this was just a tool of his trade. And God said, what do you have in your hand? And he says, a stick, a rod. And God said in the next verse, he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. You know, uh, Moses had been seeking God for 40 years, persevering as seeing him who is invisible. He was hungry and looking. And when he saw this unusual sight, he turned aside because he was looking for something. So here he was in the presence of God, talking face to face to God. What an experience. And when his rod turned into a snake, he was gone. Amen. He was leaving it all behind. You know what that says? There are some people who don't mind snakes. They pick up snakes. They do things. I actually rode in a pickup one time with a guy and I heard something and I, I looked under the seat and he said, oh, don't touch that. And I said, what do you got? And he says, I got rattlesnakes under the seat. He collected them. And they were in a box and he says, don't touch them. And I put my feet up in the seat. There's some people that they have rattlesnake roundups. They don't mind, but Moses wasn't one of those guys. He was in the presence of God and he was willing to forsake it all to get away from this snake. That says a lot about Moses' attitudes towards snake. And in verse four, it says, and the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thy hand and take it by the tail. And you know what? Moses didn't have the benefit of knowing what the last half of this fourth verse said. Just forget that at the moment. Here you are in the presence of God. You, he says, throw your rod down. You throw it down. It turns into a snake and you're ready to run. And God says, stop, come back and pick it up by the tail. Even if you like handling snakes, you got to grab it right behind its jaws or it can turn and bite you. To pick up a snake by the tail means that you aren't in control. That that snake can turn and bite you. And remember that Moses' problem 40 years before was that he knew God's will, but he was self-willed. He was going to do it his way. He and Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I did it my way. And he was going to do things his way. And man, over 40 years, he had learned that, man, my way didn't work. And he was saying, God, I'll do anything. He was persevering. He was still believing that God was going to use him. And he was praying, God, give me another chance. And you know what? For 40 years, he had been in Bush University. You think CBC is tough. <laughs> 40, we got a beautiful scenery, nice climate and everything. Man, Moses was in Bush University on the backside of the desert 40 years. God was saying, all right, Moses, when are you going to do it my way? And this was his final exam. 
God said, throw your rod down. This was his livelihood. It was, it was symbolic of his life. Throw it down. And when he did, it turned into a snake. He was ready to run from it. And God said, pick it up by the tail. And that meant that you are no longer in control. You know, Moses didn't know what the last part of this verse said. And from his standpoint, to pick up this serpent by the tail could have meant death. He could have died. And yet Moses was so committed, just like what Greg was teaching this morning, that you just say yes. Once you know that it's God, you just do it. And if it looks like it's going to kill you, you do it. You, the only thing you have to do is discern, God, is this really you? But once you know it's God, you just say yes, you do it. And this is what God was trying to do to Moses, was to bring him to a place to where he wouldn't lean unto his own understanding, but he would do things God's way. And so the Lord gave him a test and said, throw down your rod. He did, and he started to flee. God said, pick it up by the tail. And to Moses' credit, he picked that serpent up by the tail. And from his perspective, it looked like this could be the end of everything. This could be my death. But you know what? I'd rather die following God this time than to do it my own way. Man, that is a place that all of us have got to come to. And that's not easy to obtain because it's, it's counter to all of our, our preservation instincts and the things that we have. But God wants you to lay your life down. And then he gives it back to you. But the difference is you aren't the one in control. You got it by the tail. You aren't any more in control. It's whatever he tells you to do. You know, when the Lord spoke this to me, there's, there's a bunch of things that have happened. But uh, I had just been turned on to the Lord. I had a job working for the Arlington Public School System. God told me to quit school. Which, did you know that that did not make sense to quit school? My mother... Didn't talk to me for two weeks. I was kicked out of a church. They said, you can't be a Christian and say that God would tell you to quit school. I know some of you think that's weird, but that, I was in a highfalutin Baptist church that used the seminary professors to fill the pulpit and stuff. And it was an upscale, intellectual, snobbish Baptist church that when I said that God told me to quit school, they, they actually, uh, the guy threatened to take a vote and kick me out of the church. And I lost all kinds of things. I lost money from the government. I was getting money from my father's social security as long as I stayed in school. And I had a deferment from the uh, military as long as I was in school. This is before the lottery system. And I was, had a student deferment. And everybody said, there's no reason for you to do this. You're going to be drafted and sent to Vietnam. And everybody told me to do it. But this is what God told me to do. It was the exact same thing. He told me to take my life and throw it down and give it to him. And when I did, it looked like it was going to kill me. It looked like I was going to lose every friend that I had. And he told me to take it up. And, but this time, I had it by the tail. I wasn't the one controlling my life. And you know, when Moses picked this stick back up, the serpent up, it turned back into a rod. And I'm convinced that if somebody would have taken that and have, you know, whittled off a piece of that rod and have sent it out to get tested, it still would have been oak or elm or whatever stick it was that it was made from. It still had the same composition. To anybody else, it looked like the same stick, but something had happened. Moses had thrown his rod down, his life down before the Lord and it looked like he's going to kill him. And in obedience to God, he was willing to take it up by the tail and whatever God wanted him to do. Now, he was responsive to God and not self-willed. And it may have looked like just a stick to other people. But you know what? Something had happened between God and Moses. And now, that wasn't Moses' stick anymore. It was God's stick. Look down here in the 20th verse of this fourth chapter. After this whole experience, Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hands. This wasn't Moses' stick anymore. It was God's stick in Moses' hands. Everybody else, it looked like a stick. It looked like it was Moses. They couldn't tell the difference, but Moses knew. 
Prior to that time, if Moses would have hit a rock with that stick, all it would have done is broke the stick or jarred Moses. Nothing would have happened. But after this time, Moses hit a rock with it and waters gushed out and fed over three million Jews and all of their animals. Prior to that time, if Moses would have held that stick out over water, nothing would have happened. But Moses held it out over the rivers of Egypt. They turned into blood. He held it out over the land. And lice came up and frogs came up. He held it up to the sky and hail came out of a sky that had no clouds in it and fire ran along upon the ground. He held it out over the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted. To other people, it looked like just a stick. But you know what? It was because Moses had taken this, had taken the tool of his trade, the thing that to him symbolized his life and he turned it over to God and he, he followed God's leadership even if it meant death. He was going to do what God said regardless. And when he picked it back up, it wasn't Moses anymore, it was God's and it had all of the power and the authority of God in it. You know what? When I obeyed God and laid my life down before the Lord and picked it up by the tail saying, God, I'll do anything. I'm a living sacrifice. I'll go anywhere. I'll do whatever you want me to. It looked like I was going to lose everything. Like I, st I forgot this story a while ago, but I was working for the school system and I was a college dropout. I had nothing going for me and the guy that was my boss took a liking to me and offered me a uh, leadership position in the Arlington, Texas public school system that would have had a guaranteed retirement and bonuses and I would have been over people. And for a college dropout, what a great opportunity. My mother, she just couldn't believe it. She says, well, certainly you're going to take this. And I said, no way. I said, God has a call on my life. And I said, I, I'm, this isn't what God called me to do. And she told me I was crazy. People just thought I was crazy. And there's so many times. I mean, this hasn't happened just one time. This has happened over and over and over again. You take step by step by step. And I finally started into the ministry and nearly starved to death for 10 years. People stayed away by the thousands from my church and my meetings. And then the Lord, I was finally, for the first time in my life, we were surviving. We had about 50 or 60 people coming. We had been seeing people, blind eyes open, people come in ambulances and be healed and awesome things happening. And I started a radio ministry and it looked like we were going to survive. We were going to live and not die. It was so exciting. And God called me to go to Pritchett, Colorado, which had 144 people in the town. And the next closest town was Springfield, Colorado that might have had 1,000 people. It was 30 miles away. I mean, it's just nowhere. Lawson's been down there. He knows what I'm talking about. It may not be the end of the earth, but you can see it from there. It's that close. <laughs> and there was 144 people in the town. They had a little building that wasn't as long as this room is, and it was only about 20 or 30 feet wide, and it didn't have a roof on it when I first got there. In Colorado. And there was 10 people in the church. I was leaving 50 or 60 people for the first time. I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot to a lot of people, but you got to understand it took me 10 years to get up to 50 or 60 people and it looked like we were going to live and not die. And I left all that to go to Pritchett, Colorado and pastor 10 people. And within just a few months, we had 100 people coming. But within six months, they kicked me out of the church. They ran me out of the church. They didn't like it at all. And uh, you know what? It just, it looked like that Pritchett wasn't a stepping stone to any place. I mean, it was like a dead end. The only way you leave Pritchett is feet first. And yet, I knew that's what God told me to do. I knew it. I knew that I knew that I knew. And you know what? I'd already thrown my life down and said, God, whatever. And the moment I knew that it was God, I said yes, and I was ready to go. And you know what? Instead of that being the end of everything, that is where the ministry took off. That's where we incorporated the Andrew Womack Ministries, 1978, July the 28th. 
And uh, that's where everything began. That's where I started my radio ministry in earnest. That's where I met Lawson was during that period of time. Uh, there are just so many things that began to happen in Pritchett. I learned so much. It was powerful. And you know what? It all happened. It looked like that was going to kill me. It looked like I was picking this serpent up by the tail and I'll die if I do this. But I decided to do it. And it turned out to be one of the best things I've ever done. I made a commitment that I'd give my tapes away. And you know what? I've had so many people tell me. Vanetta Copeland, Kenneth Copeland's mom, prophesied to me one time, Thus saith the Lord, you are in sin giving your tapes away. You sell these tapes. And she prophesied to me in the name of the Lord. Just like Greg was saying, you know what? You've got to judge everything by what God speaks to you. But I had made some commitments to the Lord. And I just decided I'm going to keep doing what God told me to do. And there has been so many times along the way that, you know what, I've had to just say that I'm not in control of this. God, what have you told me to do? And now, after 40, it'll be 44 years next week, a week from tomorrow, when I made that decision. And you know, God, over these 44 years, has treated me better than I deserve, has done awesome things in my life. I've seen God just do miracle after miracle after miracle. I was listening to... Uh, Tess's testimony here today and all of these things and all of the testimonies and the things that are happening. And you know what? I got a little part in that. It's not I'm doing all of that, but I'm saying that God has used my life to help bring things together. Man, I'm just thrilled with the things that God is doing. And I can tell you what, that throwing my life down and saying, God, I'll do whatever, picking it up by the tail is the smartest thing that I ever did in my life. And I say all of these things today for you. That you know what? God is speaking to some of you. And God is asking you to lay your ambitions and your plans and your goals and all of your way of doing things down and surrendering. And when you do that, as you anticipate this and imagine what's happening, some of you are thinking, if I do this, it's, I'm going to die. This is the death to all of my dreams. I'll never have anything. I'll never do anything. All of the momentum I've built up, I'm just losing everything I've got. But I'm here to tell you that it worked to Moses' advantage. If Moses would have said no, we'd have never heard of him. And yet here we are 4,000 years later talking about Moses and the impact he made on the world because he decided to pick that snake up by the tail and if it cost him his life, he would obey God. I'm telling you that this is what's happened to me. Greg could tell you. Barry, Gary, every person, Lawson, every person who's done this can guarantee you that God's plans for your life are better than your plans for your life. God made you for more than what you're experiencing. And I just want to encourage you that God, this is how he dealt with Moses. He's no respecter of persons. I believe God brought some of you here. You know what you've done this during this campus days? You turned aside to see why this bush is burning. God's been dealing with you, and you made a decision that, you know what, I think there's something more than what I'm going through. And you weren't sure. You didn't know for sure, but you said, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight. I want to see, is there something that God has to speak to me? And because you turned aside and you spent this time, God has been speaking to some of you big time. And yet, just like Greg was saying, it's not a, it's not a time for you to debate, are you going to do it? If God is speaking to you and if he says, throw your life down, throw all of your plans, throw all of your security down and get rid of everything and come and follow me. If you'll do that, it'll be the smartest decision you'll ever make in your life. And I can guarantee you, God will give it back to you. He gave that. It turned back into a rod. And Moses had it. And you know what? It was his. But it was also, it was the rod of God from that time on. He'll give you back your life, but it'll now be under the inspiration, under the direction of God. And when you speak, you'll see things start changing. It'll be different. It won't just be you anymore. It'll be like the Apostle Paul said. It's not me that's living. It's Christ living in me. And you will start finding supernatural satisfaction and joy and peace and prosperity. And plus, beyond just what it benefits you personally, 
God will start using you. Moses used this rod to go deliver three million Jews and bring them out of slavery and establish the nation of Israel, change the entire course of the world because a man picked up a serpent by the tail and was willing to die. Change the history of the world. I believe we've got some world changers right here. God never made a piece of junk. Some of you may think my, my life's never amounted to anything. It's just like I was preaching last night. You qualify. If you're base, if you're despised, if you're nothing, if you would take your life and just throw it down and say, God, here it is. Doesn't look like much to me or maybe to some other people, but whatever it is, it's yours. And you're in control. I'm going to take this by the tail and whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it to the best of my ability. If I can understand it, I'll do it. If you do that... God would change your life, you would be so thrilled. I wake up every morning just thinking, God, this is awesome. Thank you for what you're doing. If you don't wake up just thrilled about what God's doing, then you haven't experienced God's fulfillment in your life. I guarantee you, God will do things with you bigger and better than what you could ever have thought on your own, but you've got to go through this process of just turning aside. You've done that. Now, if God has spoken to you, you need to lay your life down and say, God, I will submit to what you've told me to do. I'll do whatever you've called me to do. Amen. We got anybody here willing to do that today? Awesome. Awesome. Father, I just pray for all my brothers and sisters, I know how this has impacted my life and the decisions that I've made, how this has just transformed me. And I know that there's people here today that haven't made this decision yet. They're still debating about whether they will do what you are putting on their heart. And Father, I'm asking that today you'd help them to just lay their life down before you and say whatever. Father, anywhere. No restrictions. No limits. That we take all of the limits off and we say, here's everything I've got, everything I own, everything I dreamed of, I lay it before you. And Father, whatever your will is, I'm going to pick this up by the tail. I will not be in control any longer. Father, I pray that you help people to make that decision. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You know, let me ask this. If you have never made that decision to the Lord, but if God's spoken to you today through this, I want to give you an opportunity to just do something to say, I'm making this commitment. It's important. Faith without works is dead. He says in uh, 2 Timothy 1.12, he's faithful to keep that which we commit. No committing, no keeping. So you need to do something. So if you have never made that kind of a commitment to the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And maybe you've made a commitment like this to the Lord before, but now God is speaking to you about something specifically that you're dealing with, and you again need to just say, Father, whatever. I'm not in control. You are. You know, if that's you, and again, not everybody needs to respond to this. If the Lord isn't speaking to you, if you're doing everything he's told you to do, if you've already made this commitment, but I'm talking about people who have never made this commitment or you're in a situation right now where God's speaking to you specifically about something and you've been waffling on it and now you're ready to make a commitment and lay your life down and take it up by the tail. You aren't going to control it. If that's you, I want you to stand and let me pray for you and we're going to make this commitment and I believe that God's going to hold you to it. This could be talking about coming to school. If the Lord has spoken to you about that this week, you need to make a commitment. There needs to be something done. Whatever it is that the Lord is speaking to you about, you need to make this commitment. I know some people are probably thinking about, well, I'm, you know, I'm not sure. You need to strike while the iron's hot. I believe that the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you. And you know what? If you are left to yourself, you'll go back home and fit into that same lifestyle that had you as dead and as dull to the Lord as you were when you came. If God is speaking to you right now, you need to respond. 
And the Lord knows your heart. And if you're, if you're saying, Father, I'm just not absolutely sure. I'm totally committed. Maybe I ought to think about, well, stay and say, I'm, I'm wanting to be committed. I'm committing to the degree that I've got. And God will honor that. Amen? Anybody else? I say this often, but people think, well, I'm just going to sit there and do this in my heart. You know, the Lord keeps that which you commit. Faith without works is dead. You need to do something. I'm not asking you to do something big. I'm just asking you to stand before God. I'm going to specifically pray this won't work if you're seated. You're going to have to stand or this won't work. Uh, I knew that there were some people... Some of you want to bootleg the gospel. (laughs) Father, I thank you for all of these people who've stood and whatever it is that you're dealing with them on. We just say today, just like Moses did, Father, we throw our life down before you and we say anything, Father, whatever. We take the limits off of you. There are no restrictions. We will do anything. We'll go anywhere to the best of our ability. And I know that every one of us is in varying stages of being bold and different things. But to the best of our ability, we want to commit and follow you and give our lives over to you. We turned it over to you. And from this time forth, it's not me living. It's Christ living in me. That, Father, whatever you say, we will do. We will go. We will follow this. And so, Father, we lay ourselves on the altar and make a living sacrifice of ourself. And we ask for the fire of God to fall right now and consume these sacrifices. I pray that just as real as you've done with me, that this would be a miraculous, specific, personal encounter with every single person and you, and that they would yield themselves completely to what you've said, regardless of the outcome, regardless of what the potential damage or loss might be to us. We know that you are a multiplier, not a subtractor. And Father, that this is going to work out to our benefit, that it'll change us, it'll change people around us, that Father, we'll look back and see this is the best thing we've ever done. And so we just make a commitment right now before you, before our brothers and sisters, and we say that our life is yours 100%. We will do whatever it is that you lead us to do. And Father, we refuse to turn back. If it looks like this decision is going to kill us, we will not back down. We stand on what you say. And, Father, we believe that you are faithful and just to keep that which we commit. We know that you're going to hold us to this. And thank you, Father, for a miraculous provision. We believe that everything it takes to accomplish your uh, directions is going to come to pass. And we thank you in advance, Father, for the awesome difference this is going to make in our lives and in the lives of others. In the name of Jesus, amen. Y'all agree? Praise God. Praise God. Well, you can be seated. You know, this is concluding our campus days, but we have a sign-up. If you, if you were one of those that God spoke to about coming, I had you stand, and hopefully many of you stood. But you know what? Uh, you need to just put in a registration. If I'm correct, if I'm not mistaken, I think that you can register now. And if things didn't work out for September, you can come in November. You can come next year. You can come five years from now. But you need to do something. You need to invest something. You need to make some kind of a commitment that puts you in this direction. You know, one of the things about a ship, it says in James chapter 3 that the tongue is like a, a rudder on a ship. And the point that's being made there is that if a ship is sitting still, did you know you can flip a rudder 360 degrees and it won't move that ship in any direction? That, that boat has to be moving. And then just the slightest move in a rudder will change it. And the point I'm getting across is that some of you are wanting God to start moving. And man, you need a house to sell. You need God to come through. You need a job. Uh, You need your mate, your children, 
your relatives, your friends, your church, and there's just so many things that have to come to pass, and you're looking for God to do these things. But if you don't ever take a step of faith, nothing's ever going to happen. And we have seen it thousands of times that just making a step of faith and saying, all right, I'm going to register. I'm going to move in this direction. That's just moving very slowly, but that could start the supernatural flow of God towards you. And so you need to do something. Standing today, I believe, is a first step. I would encourage you that if you haven't registered for school, we're going to have registration in our second-year classroom over here. And I encourage you, before you leave, to do something. We used to have the director of our Bible college. He says, what God speaks to you in the first 30 seconds is God. And then what you hear for the next two or three days about, I can't do this. And all of the, that's the devil. That's the flesh that Greg was talking about. And you know what? You need to strike while God is speaking to you. If you really believe God spoke to you, then go through. If you don't believe God spoke to you, then don't come. But personally, I believe God's speaking to all of you. It wouldn't hurt a single person to come to this school. Amen. Your life would be better. I don't care what God's leading you to do. So anyway, we want you to be free. Gary, do you have some things you want to say about any of that? All right, we've got some more of these registrations that have been paid. Uh, I think that there's now been like, uh, Lawson gave $1,000 towards this. I think there's been another 400 So there's like, and we've given out five. So that means that there's nine uh, of these $100 registration fees that have already been paid over there. How are you going to dispense those? Okay, so it'll be in the other room. And again, we want to stress that if you have the money to be able to pay, you know, I was in the uh, cafe yesterday and um, they, I, I got a, something to drink and they were, I forgot exactly, but anyway, they were going to charge me something and, and the lady says, oh no, I'll give it to you. And says, you're blessed. And I said, you know what? I'm so blessed, I can pay. <laughs> and I said, bless somebody else who needs it. And I went ahead and paid. They gave me mine free, and I gave for somebody else to get something. So anyway, if you are blessed and you can pay, well, then let somebody who really is in a situation that could use this, if you're blessed, be so blessed that you could bless somebody else instead of just taking it for yourself. Amen? because I'm sure there will be more than just nine people who want to sign up. Amen? So again, thank you so much for coming. I believe that this has been a life-changing experience. If you, if you are listening, God is going to speak to you. And just like Doug testified this morning and so many others, there will be a time a year or two from now that you'll be talking about how God spoke to you at campus days and that this has just transformed your life. You'll never be the same. Amen? So thanks for coming. God bless you. Are we through? All right, you're dismissed. Remember, if you're signing up, go over there to the second-year classroom and register.